all have full bellies, but I remember in college, my classes that I had after I had eaten, I was a little, like, drowsy, so just stay with me. So. <laughs> still early enough. Hopefully your coffee's still settled in. So this is the When You Long to Belong seminar, so hopefully you're in the right place. If you're not, maybe you were meant to come here anyway. So longing to belong. So uh, my name is Vanessa Hunt and it's an honor to be here with you today and so excited about this topic. So um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my grandmother. So my grandmother was a farmer's wife and um, my mom always said that she was the hardest working woman she knew. She um, took care of um, the farm, my um, grandfather, four kids, um, all the farm hands and just did everything you would ever imagine a farmer's wife would do. She even, um, she was very tiny, um, but she would even climb up on the roof to repair the roof. My mom remembers her tying a rope around her and tying a rope to the chimney and helping to repair the roof after a storm. So she was an amazing, amazing woman. She um, worked hard her whole life. My grandfather passed away when I was just a baby. And then years later, my grandmother remarried a wonderful man. And, um, and she outlived him as well. And as she was getting older and my mom realized that she was going to be um, unable to live in her home um, any longer without um, getting the proper care, my mom um, and my aunt and my uncles, they um, found a wonderful assisted living facility for my grandmother to move into. So my mom went and got her all settled and getting her moved in and visiting her and taking care of her. And so the very first day they were there, um, my mom and my grandmother walked down the hall towards the dining room. And as they walked into the dining room, they could see um, all the tables set up and everybody sitting there. And um, they were looking for places to sit. And my grandmother and my mom headed towards um, what looked like an open seat. And after they got there and were kind of hovering over that, that seat, the women who were sitting there reached their hands out and said, no, this seat is saved. Mm. And here's my grandmother in her 80s being told that there was no room for her at the table, that there was no place for her to sit down. She was new. She wanted to belong. It was, an, it was a completely um, difficult experience to leave her home behind. And here are these women who should relate to her and who have been there, and yet she stood there feeling like she was in middle school and not being invited to sit at the cafeteria table. And I remember my mom re relaying this story to me, and I went, oh no, you mean there's going to be more years of this? <laughs> it never ends, it never ends. And it was so shocking to me that a group of 80-plus-year-old women would not make room for a peer to sit down. Last year, my daughter was in third grade. Um, we, um, I pick her up every day, drop her off every day. She is a talker. She tells me everything that happens. It's wonderful. I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts because I'm sure it's not going to last. So, <laughs> um, She tells me all that happens throughout her day. And She got in the car one day, and I could just tell she was feeling just uh, the weight of the world on her shoulders. And I said, hey, what's up, babe? And she said, mommy, I don't understand why so-and-so would say hi to me one day and not say hi to me the next. Mm -hmm. Why is she my friend one day and she's not my friend the next? Um, and I said, I don't really know either. <laughs> and I realized these two extremes of season of life and stage of life 
there were the same issues from third grade till you're almost off this earth, that those issues remain for us as women. And we've all been there in one way or another, right? I don't think any of us gets through this life as women without feeling excluded and longing to belong and longing to feel that there is a seat for us at the table. And for me, um, friendships and close friendships were an elusive thing for most of my life. I um, moved around a lot growing up. So I was born in Ohio, lived there for three years, moved to Missouri, lived there for three years, moved to Southern California, lived there for a few years, two different places in Southern California. Um, and moving from, you know, we moved when I was going into third grade, and then we moved back to Missouri right before I was starting middle school, which was super fun. Um, so my parents moved me right before I started sixth grade, and then they moved us again back to California right before I started high school. So I'm like a walking miracle. So, <laughs> so I moved at all these critical, pivotal points in my development and my growth, and especially as a young woman trying to find my identity. And I longed for friendship. I longed for that person who would be my friend. I wanted to have the necklace that had the BFF and they had one half and I had the other. I wanted that so badly and I never got it. I never got that throughout my growing up years. And what it did is it shaped the way that I approached friendship. It shaped the way that I approached belonging and it shaped the way I understood the value that I could bring to a friendship. And I was desperate. I wanted a true best friend and my experiences in my attempts to make friends taught me that I wasn't worthy of being a friend just for me, just mm -hmm. for this, my sake alone. Um, and so as the new girl, I learned to do things that I thought would make me be of worth to somebody. Um, and so I want to show you a little clip. This is, um, if I can get to it, some of you will recognize this right away. Oops, my back. Now I've got to figure out. He showed me how to do this, so bear with me that I'm learning here. So. We're going to watch this clip together. If I can get it to work. Um, I want to keep it. It's okay. It's okay if it harms the computer, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now it worked before, and now it's not working out. Show all. Nope, that's not it. Hang on. We'll get it. We'll get it. You know you want to see this. While you're stop while you're doing that, yeah. I, I I understand that you're a published author. Have you written some books? <laughs> she has. Who's saying that? Right here. Right here in her bio. Somebody put you up to that. No, I know that she has. Yes, I have. It's not letting me show you this. This is so. It's, can somebody go grab the techie guy and yep. see if he can? I'm on my way. Somebody. Somebody's gonna be my friend. Be my friend. Thanks. <laughs> yes. 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 October of last year. So, yes, it's called Life in Season. 
So um, you can find it at Barnes and Noble. You can find it at Rainbow it's West. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. So Life in Season by Vanessa Hunt. So you can find it. Do you still have your blog site? I do. <laughs> right? Yes, I do. Yes. Picket fences. Yeah, at the picket fence. Yep. Yep. Oh. At the picket fence.com. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm a fan. Thanks. <laughs> Um, th this this whole Anne of Green Gables, if anybody has watched Anne of Green Gables, you know that at the heart of it is the desire for a kindred spirit, a bosom friend. But at the heart of Anne of Green Gables, at the heart of Anne Shirley, was a desire to be known and to be valued for her worth. She was an orphan, brought into a home um, where they thought they were getting a boy who would be able to work around the farm, and, um, and they ended up with her. <laughs> And um, throughout, just woven throughout all of this series from Ella Montgomery is these um, themes of worth and value and knowing and being known. And my heart was um, that I want, oh, you're the hero. <laughs> I, I, I messed it up. You <coughs> did it beautifully, and I did watch, but somewhere it just got all messed up. Oh, okay, here we go. It would be more like Your mother hasn't relented. I told her it wasn't her fault. I cried and cried. But it's no use in This was after the Rasmus Cordial incident. I can't ever be friends again. <coughs> Diana. Never to forget me, no matter what other friends come into your life. I can never love anybody as much as I love you, Anne. Do you really love me? Of course I do. Nobody's ever loved me for as long as I can remember, except for Matthew and Marilla. And will you swear to be my secret bosom friend? I don't know what you to swear. We're in enough trouble already. <laughs> I solemnly swear to remain faithful to my bosom friend Diana Berry for as long as the sun and the moon shall endure. Now you say it. I solemnly swear to remain faithful to my bosom friend Anne Shirley for as long as the sun and moon
living sci-fi. There's just a little bit of trauma there. <laughs> so she had accidentally served Diana raspberry cordial, and it was alcoholic, and she made a mistake. She didn't need to do it, and Diana got drunk, and Diana's mom didn't want her to be friends anymore. So they they reconciled. They recovered from this, and they were able to move forward. But. That was what I wanted. I wanted a bosom friend. And I lived and breathed Anna Green Gables and Little House on the Prairie, and my world was centered around that. And yet it was elusive to me. I, I didn't get to experience that. And I will tell you right now, I didn't get to experience that for a really, really, really long time, well into adulthood. I wanted a Diana, and I didn't get her until I was in my 30s. <laughs> so, sorry, that gets me every time. Now I know why I don't watch it very often. <laughs> so, very, just hearing, just hearing the audio of that yes, is very You can emotional. feel it, right? So, yeah, yeah, that has nothing to do with the fact that I'm hormonal right now at all. <laughs> so, let's establish right up front, right now, that we weren't made to do this life alone. So the mm -hmm. desire to belong, the desire for a bosom friend and, and kindred spirits and community is something that was put in us by our Father. We were not meant to go through life alone. We have so many examples throughout Scripture to show that we weren't meant to do life alone. Obviously, the one we think of the most is Jesus with his disciples. But beyond that, is there music? Oh, I was like, is it playing it again? Um, beyond that, there are just woven all throughout scripture is, is the beauty of friendship and relationship and deep, meaningful community. Um, these are just a few of the verses um, that I was able to find. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift him up. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Mm. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Mm. I mean, this is all throughout scripture that we were made for friendship. We were made to walk alongside each other and do this life together. But for me, um, somewhere along the line, I convinced myself that it wasn't possible for somebody to want to be my friend just because they liked me. Um, I was convinced that the only way that somebody would want to be my friend is because of what I could do for them. Um, so this led to a lot of one-sided friendships in my life, um, where I felt like I was never actually loved for my own sake, just for me. Um, and this impacted my relationship with the Lord. Because I began to think that maybe the only way that God could love me is if I um, brought usefulness to him. Um, and that he had expectations of me. Because every friendship I had, if I tried to just be myself, I felt that I wasn't meeting the expectations that the other person had for me. Now, this didn't lead me down a path of being like super rebellious or saying yes to doing, mm -hmm. you know, the wrong things. Um, but what this led to was down a path of, oh, you need me to go do that for you? I'll do that for you. You need me to drive you to all your appointments? I'll drive you to your appointments. You need me to clean out your refrigerator? I'll clean out your refrigerator. You need, need me to run errands for you? I'll run mm. errands for you. This led to this pattern, and it was reinforced over and over and over again that my 
value was in what I could provide for somebody um, in, in what I could do for them. And what happened is I hit a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. And I looked around at all my friendships and I realized these are all one-sided friendships. <laughs> these are all friendships where there's not this mutual um, expectation and mutual care and love and investment. Um, and it really sent me down a path of not even just exploring friendships, but exploring what my worth was to the Lord. And I realized that I had never fully reconciled my value to God, um, and that that directly impacted my value and my friendships. Um, and it's critical that we understand the difference between being useful and being valuable. Um, Oswald Chambers is one of my favorite. If it was possible to have a crush on a theologian, <laughs> I would have a crush on Oswald Chambers. He's dead, but you know. Um, he's amazing. He's my absolute favorite. I quote him all the time because he gets right to the heart of the issue. And um, this is one of my all-time favorite quotes from him. He says, the issue is never of being of use, but of being of value to God himself. Mm. And when I reconciled the difference between usefulness and value, it dramatically changed how I approached um, my life and my relationships, and most importantly, my relationship with the Lord. So I just want to give you a little visual to help you out. Mm. This is a Swiss Army knife. This is a really useful tool. I'm sure it is. I hear it's really useful. <laughs> you know what Okay, this is a Swiss Army knife. This is something you would carry in your pocket it would be super handy. My husband gave this to our son um, years ago. Thankfully, there's been no incidents with it. Um, but it's really, really, really useful. It can do all sorts of things. It's something that you would carry with you all the time and be able to pull out at any moment and put it to use, right? This is an, a useful tool. This is my grandmother's wedding ring. This is an heirloom. When she passed away, my mom gave this to me. Very inexpensive. Um, it's not very useful. It doesn't really do anything. Most of the time, it, I'm wearing it today for this, but most of the time it just sits in a drawer in my closet. But the value of this is is priceless. There is there is no price that I can put on what this is to me. We are the heirloom ring to the Lord. Our value to Him has nothing to do with our usefulness to Him. I thought that I was, had to be the Swiss Army knife to the Lord and to everybody in my life, that I had to be the Swiss Army knife. And it's taken me years to realize that I'm the heirloom ring, that the value that I have is the fact that he created me and loves me. Does he want me to do things to glorify him? Yes. Does that um, mean that that's why he loves me? No. My value and my worth is totally different from what I can do for him. Because, I mean, he's God. What can I do for him, right? So I glorify him and I honor him. But understanding the difference um, in those two things really helped me understand then the difference in how I approached my friendships. That there was value in being my friend just for me, um, just for who I am. Um, and in the same way that I, because of um, understanding my value to the Lord, I glorify him and I honor him and I do things out of my love for him, that's the same way that I approach my friendships. Um, because of our mutual um, understanding of our value to each other, that's when we come alongside each other and support each other 
and, and lift each other up and be that encouragement to each other. Um, but that's a totally different thing from just being useful to them. Um, and so one of the things that I did in the midst of um, this wrestling was begin to address um, insecurities and how they play into our friendships and relationships. I've never been able to understand why some women are friendly to me one day and they're not friendly the next. We've all been there. I've never understood why I walk into a room sometimes and somebody scans me. Okay, we've all seen that look, the head to toe scan. It is mm -hmm. terrifying. I remember the first time it happened and I was like, <gasps> you know, are my, are my peg jeans not good enough? Are my, you know, my big guest sweatshirt that I loved, was it not good enough? There, I mean, I remember that feeling of being scanned up and down all throughout middle school. And um, it, was, it was horrible. And we still experience it to this day, right? Um, yeah. And I never understood that. Why would somebody be nice one day and not the next? Why would they be friendly to me and then not the next? Um, and I always thought that I was the problem. And bless my mother's heart, she perpetuated this a little bit because my mother is a pleaser and she raised two daughters who are pleasers. So I'm trying to break the cycle of people pleasing. Um, my mother would say to us, what could you do to make this situation better? And, and sometimes there is something we can do to make the situation better. But most of the time, it's nothing we've done. Somebody scanning you up and down, somebody being nice to you one day to, and not nice the next, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. So that fed into my need to figure out why they didn't like me and how I could be useful to them and how I could make them like me. Um, and it just created this cycle of friendships in my life that, that never got to the core of, of value and of being an, an Anne and Diana bosom friendship. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that one day I realized that it wasn't me, maybe it was them. So I spent a lot of time thinking, maybe it's your issue, not my issue. Right? And I think that's a defense mechanism to a degree. It's your problem, you're insecure, you have the issue, it's not my issue. And gradually what I've realized is maybe it's actually both. Maybe it's both of us. Um, I think um, situations arise where there are two worlds colliding. And something happens underneath the surface. And under their surface and under my surface and it's called insecurity. And we all have it, right? We all have insecurities. And if you think you don't have it, then you're probably insecure about that. So, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Must be said. So, what I've come to realize as I've gotten older is that just as we are all so uniquely different in our personalities, we are also uniquely different in how our insecurities manifest in our daily lives. Maybe insecurity is what keeps somebody from offering the smile and saying hi. Maybe feeling in control of the friendship is what helps them combat the feelings of being out of control in other areas of their lives. Maybe insecurity is what keeps someone trying over and over to get people to like them. Maybe trying so hard is what helps them combat the deep need to belong, to please, to be included. Maybe insecurity is what keeps somebody from celebrating another person's success or paying them a compliment because they want so badly to achieve their goals. Or maybe they so desperately need to be the center of attention. Mm. And I think that for a long time, I've assumed that there's a hierarchy within the world of insecurity, okay? 
So obviously my insecurity of wanting to be a pleaser is much nicer than somebody else's insecurity of not being able to say hello, right? Like that's a better insecurity to have. <laughs> and I think we do that. I think we rank our insecurities and we rank our issues and we do that to make ourselves feel better about it. But really, who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? Um, it's all damaging. It's all destructive. It's all ugly. It's all messy. All of it. No matter what insecurity you have and where you land on that. Um, my need to please, my need to be useful, um, and, and somebody else's inability to welcome me and say hi to me led to pride issues in me. It led me into thinking that I was better because my insecurities came across as nice and kind and friendly and their insecurities came across as mean and unkind and unfriendly and so suddenly what be was one issue became a new sin issue in my life mm. that suddenly this pride rose up in me and I, re I felt comfort in that I took comfort in thinking it was their issue and not my issue but the thing is we all have a choice to make because it might start out being about them and not about me, but how I process the feelings becomes about me and not about them. Does that make sense? I can't control them. I can control me. And I think we have two choices when it comes to insecurities. When your insecurity meets my insecurity, we have two choices. We can either let them duke it out, knowing that there will be no winners, or we can overwhelm them with grace and understanding, knowing that then there will be no way we can lose. Your insecurity is meeting my insecurity, and what are we going to do in that moment? All of us at the core have a long, longing to belong, longing to be known, longing for friendship and connection and community. And we get it so muddled when our insecurities come into play. So, um, when I was in middle school, again, my parents moved me right before sixth grade, and, um, and my sister was starting high school, so really it was bad for her too, so it was just bad all the way around. <laughs> so I tried so hard to fit in, so hard, and my mom um, had signed me up for a vacation Bible school, which when you're in sixth grade, you're like, oh my goodness, really, like, do I have to go to this little church and do vacation Bible school? Um, she thought it would be a great way for me to make friends. So, um, so I went, and there was a group of girls, and, and I could tell right away, like, these were the girls. These were the popular girls. They dressed so cute. They knew how to wear, like, this was 80s, two pairs of socks, just the right way, remember, the mattress sweatshirt. They had the guest jeans with the triangle on the back, and mm. I just, oh, I wore hand-me-downs. I just, I longed to be like them. They represented everything to me. And my mom had made friends with their moms and somehow, God bless her, convinced their moms to tell their daughters to invite me to a slumber party. So already I was walking in, like, to a really sticky situation. And um, I got to the slumber party and these girls were advanced, let's just say. I was in sixth grade still playing with Barbie dolls. I'm happy to admit that. I was ashamed of it at the time, but I still had an imagination. I remember the day my imagination left me. It was like devastating. I remember walking into the kitchen and going, I can't make them do anything anymore. <laughs> I've run out of stories. Um, and just crying because it was gone. Like they were my only friends were my Barbie dolls. So, um, <coughs> so 
I went to this slumber party and these girls were very into boys, they were very developed, very mature, and I did the absolute worst thing a middle school girl can do. I called my mom and asked her to come get me. <laughs> and that was the kiss of death for me. The rest of my middle school years were miserable. These girls decided to make my middle school years a living hell. So I would be walking along with my books and somebody would hit the back of my knees and I would drop my books. Um, all sorts of things went on. Um, years later, come to find out that these girls tortured a lot of other girls. If we had all known, <laughs> and there is strength in numbers, we could have like, oh, we could have overtaken them. Um, but we didn't know because we were all hurting and we were all struggling and we were all longing to belong. And we were all insecure and we thought we were alone in that. We thought we were alone. So there was a pivotal moment about my seventh grade year where it all kind of came to a head for me. And um, one of these girls was going to have a sleepover. And so she invited a bunch of girls from the school. It wasn't just the core group with their match. They had matching t-shirts. Like they actually wore matching t-shirts. Lame. Lame. Totally lame. And they were really ugly shirts. Like I don't, I mean, I don't know why they thought they were cute. But so they invited a bunch of girls from, from the class and um, except for me, and informed me that I was not invited. Oh, oh my word. Now, the girl who was hosting the, the birthday party happened to live down the street from me. So these girls decided that that night they were going to go walk around the neighborhood. So they walked all around the neighborhood, and then they parked themselves outside my house and walked back and forth and talked really loudly. And it was the popularity parade, and I was not invited. And I just remember going to my mom and just going, why would they do that? Like, they already told me I wasn't invited. Now they have to rub it in that I'm not invited. And it was just so painful. And, you know, this story came up over the summer because my, I was talking to my mom about some situations that my daughter was experiencing in fourth grade because it's starting younger and younger and younger, unfortunately. And I had forgotten about this story. And I sat on my mom's porch, I'm 41 now, I was 40 then, and my mom said, do you remember when this happened? And it was like I was there, sitting in my bedroom, hearing the sounds of these girls walking around outside, and knowing that I didn't belong. And it's amazing how stuff like that can stay with you for years and years and years and years. And I had actually blocked it out of my mind, so I didn't even really like remember until my mom reminded me. Thanks, Mom. So now i got to go back and do all the work again. So, um, But here's what I realized, is that I can't control that. I cannot change them. I can change me. And that the parade isn't all it's cracked up to be, right? There are a whole host of issues within that parade. And I didn't know that at 13 years old. You don't know that. Um, but here's what we can do. When your insecurity meets my insecurity, I can decide how I will process and internalize the emotions. Okay? I can decide whether I will retaliate by being the one to not smile or say hi the next time. I can decide whether or not I will congratulate that person on their success, even if they've never been able to do it for me. I can decide if I will be willing to extend grace and forgiveness. I can decide if I will allow my insecurities to function as a cloud over every encounter in my life. So lately I've been playing the what if game. What if it didn't have to be this way? What if all of us realized that while we can't change them, we can change us? 
What if we made peace with our insecurities? What if when our insecurities met their insecurities, there was sympathy and understanding instead of hurt and confusion? What would happen? Think about this. This is a room of Christ-following women, and we can do this differently. We can do friendship and relationship differently. Does that mean we're going to be best friends with everybody? No, of course not. You're going to connect with some people more than others. But what that means is we can imagine that, that a world where our insecurities meet each other because they're never going to go away. I'm always a people pleaser. I, I, I wrestle with that. That's my thing. I'm a recovering people pleaser, I should say. So I still go into situations and, and will leave conversations and wonder what somebody thought about me. And I will replay things and I'll text them later and say, I'm sorry if I said this. I really didn't say this. So that's, that's my MO. And that, that's something that I work through. That's the way I approach relationship. Um, and, and, and that just is what it is. Um, but I think I'm recognizing how that then plays into the way that I interact with somebody. And, and whatever their thing is, is playing into how they interact with me. So what if we actually even acknowledged or apologized for how our insecurities have wounded other people? How they've tripped up relationships and made situations more complicated than they needed to be. So just think what might happen. I can imagine healing, reconciliation, sympathy, empathy, and peace. We have this opportunity as Christian women to do this differently. We have to be the example to the world of how to do healthy, deep, meaningful friendship. And we know, and we have to know what we can control. We have to be the ones to include. We have to, wave to, we have to look for ways to fold other people in to make room at the table for them. Mm -hmm. We don't want anybody to be in their 80s and still feeling like there's not room at the table for them. If you are not resolving these issues, resolve them now. Because we need to do this differently and be the light to the world of how to do friendship and connection differently. Again, does this mean we have to be best friends with everybody? Of course not. But I think when we're able to make peace with our own insecurities and cover with grace other people's insecurities, beautiful things can begin to happen. Beautiful relationships can unfold. Relationships with people, maybe you thought, I will never be able to be that person's friend. And when you realize where they're coming from and the insecurities that they're bringing to the table and their own longing to belong that is manifesting itself in the way that their insecurities play out, it takes the sting out of it. It takes the, it still stings, but it takes some of it away. And you realize they're a person too. They're a woman too who's longing to connect and longing to belong and how it manifest is just totally different than how it manifests for me. I want to tell you that it took me all the way until I was in my 30s to find my people, my kindred spirits, my bosom friends. And here's what I think. I think it was because then I was in a place to realize that I had value in just being me and I didn't give off the vibe anymore of what can I do for you. I really believe that I started giving off the vibe of being confident in my worth and confident in what I could bring into a friendship. I knew I had it all along. I knew I could be an Anne or a Diana. 
I think I, I always, doesn't everybody identify with Anne? Is everybody the, the Anne? Does everybody say they're the Diana? We're all the Anne, right? <laughs> Which is so representative. We all are the Anne at our core. We all want to belong and be known and have value and have worth. Diana already fit in. She had it easy. She grew up there. They were rich. She had all the pretty dresses and the, the, the black, the dresses and the dresses. She had the long black hair that Anne longed for. Anne wanted that long black hair. Um, so we're all the Anne. We all identify with Anne with an E, right? Mm -hmm. But it took me a long, long, long time. And I want to say to you, if you are in a place where you don't feel like you belong, no matter what age and stage you are in, that it's possible. That friendship, true friendship, and finding value and worth in, in yourself and giving that to somebody else, is possible. I didn't think it was possible. I had let go of the dream of the Anne and Diana friendship and was surprised and delightfully surprised in my 30s of all times to finally have those friendships and those connections and they're mutual and there's value and we build each other up and there's very little expectation and there's um, not a sense of what can you do to me and can you run my errands, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> Um, when I gave off that vibe, it paved the way, I believe, for God to bring those friendships I longed for all those years ago as a little girl. It paved the way for those friendships to come into my life. And so I just want to encourage you that if you are in a season of wondering where you belong, that perhaps we have to come first to understand our worth and our identity in Christ and our value to him. We have to understand that we're not the Swiss Army knife, mm -hmm. that we're the heirloom ring, that this is our value, and that that is what we can create in our friendships with other women. Um, a, a, a place of understanding that you're the heirloom ring to me, I'm the heirloom ring to you, that you're not the Swiss Army knife to me. I love you not because of what you can do for me, but because of who you are. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have us take some time right now just for some personal reflection and then we're going to maybe have some time to open it up to some conversation if you feel like having some dialogue how much time do i have till 11 okay so we're going to take a few minutes right now just for some personal reflection questions and then i'd like to maybe open it up to talking and sharing a little bit um, and dialoguing so here's here's our questions do you feel more like the swiss army knife or the heirloom in your relationship with god and with others how have your insecurities inhibited your friendships? I don't know why they're all number one. <laughs> I have no idea why that happened. I promise you they were all numbered properly. And they're all really important. And you're number one. So what is one area you are trying to control in your desire to belong that you need to let go of? And what is one thing you, begin, you can begin to do today to help others feel like they belong. Okay, so take some time. You should all have some note, note paper, notebook paper, and just think about that. I wish I had some music. Maybe I could put some music on my phone. So take some time now. I'm gonna turn this off so nobody calls us attempting that post food thing. Okay, so did anybody have anything that came to their mind that they'd be willing to share? Um, as a, just as we talk today, or as you're working your way through these questions, things you relate to, that 
that they'd be willing to share. This is a safe place for <coughs> connections to happen. Yes? Sure. Um, I, like you, moved around a lot. I went to 12 to 13 different schools growing up because mm -hmm. my dad was in the service. Mm -hmm. I was a lot like you. I was the tool. Mm -hmm. um, that happened even with the gentleman that I chose to marry and was married to for 25 years. <coughs> when I fell apart and needed someone else to be the tool, no one knew how to deal with me. So I had a transition period, which was really difficult. But when I realized I didn't have to do anything to earn God's love, that he loved me, and then surrounded me with people who valued me for me, that's when my relationship came full blast with my kids. Mm -hmm. They respect me so much more now that I'm not doing everything for them. I don't have to be that tool. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's liberating, but it's still kind of scary because I want to keep going back to that. Well, if I can do something for them, they'll like me. Right, right, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And we all have a default, right? We all have something that we default to. Um, and, and that default is part of that piece of our insecurities and our issues. And I truly believe that how we understand our identity in the Lord, it, it affects everything. So I spent a lot of years feeling like if I came to the Lord just on my own, that he was going to tell me I had to do something. I had to go live in a hut in Africa, or I had to go do this or do that. Or I always feel, and I still to this day struggle with sitting still before him, knowing that that's safe and that he's not, he doesn't have these like expectations of me. And, and, and that's hard to understand. Yes, again, he calls me to things, he nudges me to things, but that's not a condition upon which he loves and adores me. So yeah, yes, up here. Yes, you know, I that really hits home because I struggle with that one myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we all do. I struggle with, I struggle with this one because it's this idea of what is my place in this world? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that we all face at one time or another. What is my place in this world? What is mm -hmm. my place in my friendships? Um, and I, I just believe that when we um, <clears throat> wrestle with those issues as hard as they are, um, that's where we open the door to the things we're actually truly desiring. Mm -hmm. I, I don't believe that the friendships that I have now are, would have been available to me or would have been the same if I had not addressed my, my stuff and the things that I needed to reconcile. And so then I was able to come into those friendships and be available mm -hmm. for those friendships because of, and they're not perfect and we don't, I'm not perfect, I still struggle. But it was like God put them in my life at a time where he um, had worked me over <laughs> enough yeah. to be ready for those. Yes. Um, I had a best friend growing up. Um, we were like babies when our mm -hmm. moms first met, and so we grew up. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were friends um, all through high school, went to different schools, but we stayed connected. Mm -hmm. We dressed up the same thing for Halloween every year. It was just like weird. It was great. As we got older, married, had kids. Um, I became, I realized it was just not a healthy relationship, mm. it was toxic, mm -hmm. um, mm. and we ended up parting ways, mm -hmm. we still were in contact, mm -hmm. but I left that relationship feeling like I wasn't a good enough friend, mm -hmm. and that's one of my insecurities now mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. or fear is I'm mm -hmm. going to have another one where mm -hmm. I'm going to leave feeling mm -hmm. not like a good enough friend. Mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah. And the hard thing.
thing is that most of these, a lot of these things are happening at times when we're too young and lack wisdom and experience and discernment and, and to be able to properly process it. Um, and so, and then if you have parents who aren't processing it with you, you know, we're too young to be able to know where to put that mm. and, and where mm. to take that. And so it, it just deeply impacts us and sets us up in our other friendships. So, yeah. Um, I just, this year, <coughs> had a, an unfortunate situation where my best friend is no longer my best friend anymore. Mm. And it's like, it's really hard when you, like, I'm going to have other friends, mm -hmm. but that was just, that was the main one. That we text every day and really pour all your, like, friend love into that mm -hmm. one pretty much. So there's, like, a very big hole mm -hmm. of, of, like, a bunch of energy that I, I'm like, what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. And I, I was, it was so hard and so sad, and I just, I realized when I was reflecting on it, like, a few months ago, because I, for a long time, I was like, okay, well, I have, like, a vacancy for a best friend. Like what you're saying, I'm like, I, I thought I have no friends, but she, mm -hmm. I don't have my main friend, my person, you know? Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, God filled that yes. need for me. Like, and, and I know it sounds like very, like, basic, like, okay, I, you know, my dress is yeah. you, but yeah. I just realized you're binding up my wounds. Mm -hmm. You are doing exactly what you said you did. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's not like... I mean, obviously, it like hurts very much every day, but it's like he—he he really is enough, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And it was just like it just going through that. I mean, I knew, always knew he is who he says he is, but like now I really know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. So anyway, that's not like exactly yeah. related. Yeah. No, I think it is, and I think it's that reminder that he, our, our friends are not supposed to fill his role. Nobody earthly is supposed to fill his role in our lives. And I think, you know, I totally understand what you're saying, that you get to the place where you have to go, you are enough for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I believe what it does is it frees us up then for beautiful friendships that are going to last a lifetime and that can handle conflict and handle struggles and handle life changes and all those kinds of things and can sustain mm -hmm. for the long haul. And I think it's because if you are friends with somebody and they've dealt with their stuff and you've dealt with your stuff as much as you can, that you come into it in that place and you can then move together through life and be that connection and be that support for each other, but also because you don't put the pressure on them to be anything particularly for you. Mm -hmm. um, um, so. Susan White told, said to me, it was just so profound and it's like, Another thing that's like a fundamental truth, but she said, mm -hmm. Christ is the only one who will never disappoint. Right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. mm -hmm. oh, you're right, because people you just thought yeah. Yeah. were most trusted. Yeah. And yeah. Life, but it's like, but yeah. yeah. And we're human and we're flawed. And, and that's why I think as women, you know, as Christian women, we have this amazing opportunity to show the rest of the world how to do friendship in a beautiful, beautiful way, and to be an example of what it looks like, and that we can wrestle with our issues and our insecurities, and let go of the things we're trying to control, and move forward together, and, and we have to be that. We have to be the light and show how, how to do it in a different way. Anybody else have anything that really stuck out to them? <clears throat> yes? Your um, fourth number one. <laughs> I just started writing down one thing that I could do to um, help others feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing led to another and another, and I was thinking, you know, there are a lot of little things we can do to help people feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. 
And they're all those things that I want people to yes. do for me. Yeah. And that do mm -hmm. unto others mm -hmm. first, mm -hmm. as you would have them do unto you, is like key. And I think, I'd love to get a text message saying, I'm thinking about you, yeah. or I'd love to have somebody call me by name and say, hey, mm -hmm. you know, even if they don't have anything to say to me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's that they remembered my name, or if, um, you know, they sent me a handwritten note, or they called me and said, I was just thinking about you, you know, and, even if they don't have one single thing that, you know, you know, okay, well, bye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think mm -hmm. that the key is, you know, because oftentimes I don't approach people because I think, oh, it's been like three months since we've mm -hmm. talked, and I see her, she's right over there, and I kind of know her, and we met at that one retreat thing that we were at, but I'm kind of nervous to approach her, you know, and I think, why do we feel like that? I mean, I would be happy if somebody came up to me and said, remember me? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that they could be sitting over there wanting to come over and see you. And so it's, it is, and we all have that desire. Again, God created us to want to be known, to know and be known is, is critical. And we're, I mean, he hardwired us for community and life together. And so that's, that's a normal, natural response. And I think we have to be willing to step out and, and be the ones to extend and hold in. And again, that doesn't mean you're going to be best friends with everybody. That's okay. Maybe you are able to connect one person to another person and they become best friends. They become really close. And so we have to realize that our responsibility is, is to be the extenders. And if everybody was extending, that's just a possibility. You know? Yes. Now that, um, Every day, uh, one of the things I think of is the serenity prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, um, the wisdom mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. you know, know what, that we can't change everybody. Right. And right. Yeah. the mm -hmm. things we can do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. We can't do everything. No. Yeah. yeah. What we can control and what we yeah. can't control. And again, we can Beautiful. control how we address our stuff mm -hmm. and then how we use that and approach others. Yeah, right here. I'm just realizing that um, I think when we offer, well, it's in the instance of my daughter, usefulness to her, mm -hmm. that she actually um, mm -hmm. is wanting mm -hmm. something more. Mm -hmm. Now, I know she says, well, Mom, um, that's the way you express love is by service. Mm -hmm. But I still think, mm -hmm. down deep, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I'm cheating her by only offering my usefulness. Mm -hmm. Because then when she doesn't need me anymore, mm -hmm. where is the real friendship? Mm -hmm. And, and like, I feel like there's this gap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I know she's looking for friendship mm -hmm. with <laughs> other people. And it's not too late. You know, and it's not, and she might not even fully realize that that's what she's longing for and, and, and wanting. And doing, there, again, I go back to the whole thing of when we are, understand our value and our worth of Lord, what comes out of that then is purposefulness and serving him and honoring him with, with our, our actions and, and the way we glorify him. And so in the same way, the value and the worth in the relationship has to come first before the doing for each other can be there. That is a that is what happens out of that. And so when we flip flop it, is when it it becomes a thing where we're like, oh, wait a second, where do we land on this? You know? Yeah. I think also like being intentional, like mm -hmm. like you feel like God's leading you to like 
to like connect to somebody mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, we'll connect later, but mm -hmm. in the day and age today, you won't connect later. Mm -hmm. So like I was at the chiropractor office and me and this girl were hitting it off and had a lot of like similar things. Mm -hmm. And I was like out of all places, I'm like, <laughs> the chiropractor office, I don't think we would find base friends there. <laughs> I mean, so, but now we've exchanged phone numbers right. and we like text and but it's like our relationship is so deep, like it's just mm -hmm. like five minutes in the mm -hmm. office, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But it was because we said, okay, we're going to get each other's numbers. Yeah. yeah. And then I was in a parking lot yesterday with a girl, and we had like kind of similar life stories or whatever. But I was like, oh, I'll see you around. But she goes to a million different things, and we don't connect mm -hmm. at all these different things. We're at different things. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, let's take our numbers. It's so it's kind of interesting because mm -hmm. I'm seeing that some of them, it's like unexpected mm -hmm. events that yes. happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's that you, you know, if God's prompting you to be yeah. intentional, yeah. be intentional because maybe that person needs it just as much as you did yeah. and you didn't know. Yeah. 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 Well, just remember, years later, Anne was standing in the field with Marilla and she said, I'm realizing that kindred spirits aren't kindred spirits aren't as rare as I thought they were. Okay, so there are people who I consider my deepest, dearest, most treasured friends now that have only been in my life for a couple years. And so it, I never thought that. I thought that it had to start at one point, and then that was it. Like I was done making friends. So it's it's realizing that around any corner could be kindred spirit, and that we are all kindred spirits within the body of Christ. All of us as Christian women have a commonality and, and we have that thing that connects us to each other. And so at, at, at the base level, we have something where we can um, connect and, and be kindred in. And so I think that there can be beautiful things that can happen. And I imagine the joy that can come out of us as we show the world how to do this together. So I'm gonna pray for us since we need to wrap up. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these amazing women who are here in this room this morning. Lord, I just um, pray a blessing over them that they will um, know their value and their worth to you, Lord. That they will know it down in their soul that they are the heirloom ring. Um, mm -hmm. That they are priceless to you, God. And that all of their lives, every aspect of their life, would come out of that realization, Father their friendships and their marriages and their parenting and their job relationships, Lord, that everything would flow out of an understanding of their value to you, God. I pray for deep, meaningful friendships for these women. I pray that if they are in their 20s or if they are in their 80s, that there would be deep, meaningful friendship because we never outgrow our desire to belong, Lord. Thank you for providing the place for us to always belong to always fill that longing for us, Lord, and may we look to you first to fill that for us, God. I pray that as we go out from here, that every one of us would be thinking, how can I be the one to fold in? How can I be an extender? And that beautiful things would happen for that, Lord. Thank you so much for being here with us today. In your name we pray, amen. Yes.